0: Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome into our church home. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Praise God. I'm glad you're here today. It shows God that you chose to make him important. If you're listening to me on SoundCloud or another internet application, wherever you are, good morning or good day to you too. May God richly bless you for seeking him today. If this is your first time listening to me, hi, I'm Pastor Ed Spagnoli, and you're listening to me from McKinney, Texas, USA, and this is Gospel Saving Church and our weekly broadcast of truth from God's Word. All right. Well, we always start with a prayer to ask God to help us understand His Word, among other things. So if you would please join me, I would appreciate it, and, and let's ask God for His blessing on the service and for understanding from His Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us here this morning. Thank you, Lord God, for your Word. And the understanding that you give by your Holy Spirit to your word. I do pray, Lord God, that you would help all of us today. Anybody that's listening to this message, wherever, all over the world. Lord God, help them to understand your words today. Not just the things that I say, Lord, but reveal these things that I say, Lord, of your word to them and to me even by your Holy Spirit. And teach us, Lord God, for you are the great teacher. I remember I taught a sermon about that years ago now the great teacher or the teacher i don't remember the exact title but it was talking about how you were the great teacher jesus christ and now lord your words are in your in your book the bible and your holy spirit teaches them to us from your mouth and so lord help us to hear you clearly and understand what you have to say to us today and lord then to understand what you have to say but then make application to our lives from what you say to us today help us not to just hear these words as just some good words that we hear today but lord some words that change our lives, that affect our very core for the betterment of for your kingdom and for your, the betterment of, of you living within us if we're saved or the betterment of those that are listening that aren't saved, that they would come to you. Thank you, Lord God. And we ask these things and pray all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. So you can turn in your Bibles today to 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. That's where we're going to be today. You can turn there now, or you can just listen to me read, uh, read along as I go later on when I start reading. Uh, but I won't study them or read them until my thoughts of, from last week's message. He who does not believe God makes him a liar. So last week we learned that God's Spirit and the water and the blood which would be Jesus's birth and literal body of flesh all confirmed that Jesus Christ came in the flesh and that he is God's son. And of course biblically we know that Jesus Christ being God's son means that Jesus and God are both one even though they're separate persons. It's what the Christian faith calls the Trinity. And we learn that Jesus Christ being the Son of God and God come in the flesh is also God's testimony of Jesus Christ. Or what God says, or I should say who God says that Jesus Christ is. And, and remember, John uh, verse 10, John 1, John 5, 10 said this of the scripture that we read last week. He said, John said this, he who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God makes him a liar, because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of His Son. So simple as simple gets here, right? If someone, anyone, whoever you are, if you don't believe who God says Jesus is, and that would be His Son, and remember Him in the flesh, which means you know God literally, come, literally come in the flesh. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit then you are calling God a liar. Ouch. That's a harsh word, but that's from God. Ladies and gentlemen, I implore you because of this truth. If you have any fear of God at all, and I'm speaking to you and you're listening to this today, it's not a good idea to call God a liar about anything, but especially not to call God a liar about who Jesus Christ is in relation to himself. God throughout the entire Bible, especially here by John's hand in this first epistle makes it very clear he is the three-in-one and one-in-three almighty God and that Jesus Christ is his son and one of the persons of the Trinity. Pretty powerful message that God preaches to us today. Remember verse 7 about the Trinity. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. Pretty easy, very easy. Three, but one, one, but three, modern day word, Trinity. But yet, if you look today, very many professing Christians still reject these simple truths of God and Christ, and it's amazing, but it's true. Why do they? I'm sure there's several reasons, but just two, just for us to think about today. Number one, people refuse the Trinity and this belief about God because they just willfully don't want to believe it because it doesn't match up to their idea of who God is, right? They, they think, well, the God can't be that way, so therefore, I, that can't be. I, they're just, those Bible. They're, either the Bible's wrong or somebody translated the Bible wrong or the preachers just don't know what they're talking about. That could be one. Number two, I know this one for sure. They reject the Trinity because it doesn't give them personal gain. The personal gain for them is out. And and whole religions, if you don't know this, have been built around the false doctrine that rejects the Trinity, that rejects the simple yet complicated truth of God in the Trinity. Now, people could say that it's not fair for me to say that. Why? Because what if somebody just doesn't believe the Bible because somebody believes that the Bible's words have been changed? Meaning that somebody's gotten in there and they changed the words so that they're not the same words that God meant and, and you know and they've done that be, you know because people changed those words because they wanted their own personal gain. Well, I would say that that's, that statement is, is is a misinformed statement it's an, it's an ignorant statement, and here's why if you read god 's message to people in the Bible, just taking what his words plainly and simply say, there's no way anyone changed scriptures. For personal gain or for any reason. Meaning what they actually say. You know, the Lord said to Moses, this, that, and the other thing. Jesus Christ was on the Mount of Olives and he said this to that and the other thing. Nobody changed those words. And I, here's why. Here's why we know. The writers of the Bible gave up everything to follow Christ. And they lost their lives in with that. And they tell us in their writings that those who follow Jesus Christ can and even will lose their lives and much else also. They say God needs to be our boss, not his, not, not them. And the list goes on and on and on and on, but the main point of it is is nobody changed the Bible's words from the in the translation in the Bible because man is not the boss, God is. And if you were going to change the Bible for your personal gain and you're going to change the words, you're going to make yourself Lord. You're going to make yourself look good. You're going to make yourself like the chief, the most important one. And none of the writers of the Bible did that. They all made God supreme. And they all put themselves on the back burner and submissive to Him. And all they did was tell us, hey, here's how God told us to follow Him. Right? Man is not the boss. God is, and that's how we know that the Bible was not changed in in meaning what we read it to be. No, the Bible's words are accurate, 1,000%, but people, here's what they've done. Yes, lying people, here's what lying people have done. They've taken God's awesome words, and they didn't change them, no, they twist them. They say God's words to you, they speak God's words to you, but they put a change, a twist into it, so that they twist it in some way and take scriptures out of context so that they twist it for their gain. That's why I've preached many times about the importance of just reading God's word plainly, just as I teach it. And don't go adding stuff to it or subtracting stuff from it, but take it seriously and just read it plainly and just read it literally. Just what it says. Hey, Jesus said, go out and tell people about him. Hey, that's what I ought to go do. Hey, Jesus said, you know, greater works than these than than he did I can do. Because if I follow him, hey, then you know what? I can be looking for things that I do. to." he, He said I could do greater works than him. Take it, what he said, and stop adding to it or subtracting to it or twisting it. God wrote his word for some pretty simple reasons. Number one, so people could come to know him and his character. Number two, with his hope that we would choose to love him back after we found out that he loved us. And number three, to give us guidance on how to follow what he says and love others and, and some other things also. But these are the main things to find out his love, to respond to his love and to go do the things which he said in obedience. Not so that we could get saved. Obedience because we came to love him. That's really the simplicity of the Bible. So if somebody tells you that God's word is somehow for their or your personal gain in any way, oh, you can this, you can have this from following God's word. Oh, you you can be this from following God's word. Then they're not teaching God's word accurately because that's not what the Bible's message is. And you need to call them a liar. But please, ladies and gentlemen, don't call God a liar. Please, 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 please. All right. Let's move on to our new message for today. The title of our new message is The Stipulations to Answered Prayer. We're going to read 1 John chapter 5, just two verses today, verses 14 and 15, but there's a lot of stuff and there's a lot of good information here. So let's read them over, verses 14 and 15 and see what God has to say to us today. Or I should say what God has to say through us through John. Verse 14, God says this. Now this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we may have the petitions that we have asked of him. What John did there is John just gave us an idea of how to have our prayers answered and be guaranteed that we'd have our prayers answered. And But speaking of twisting God's word for profit, did you catch what John said in those, two, in those first two verses? Because he gave an idea there that people have twisted the idea of praying for and believing on wealth, prosperity, wealth or prosperity or health and wealth or, or whatever as a guarantee. Hey, you can pray for whatever as long as you just have faith and you believe it can be yours guaranteed. And this idea has become very destructive and it's become a heresy both physically and spiritually to a great part of the so-called Christian church in our day and age. To the defense of the proponents of what they call what people call the prosperity gospel, which is what people take away from these first from these first couple of verses that we read here today, uh, we have a couple scriptures that they quote, a few actually that they quote very commonly, and we have uh, Mark eleven twenty four where they say this. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, so he's talking about prayer and asking for stuff in prayer from God. He says, "Jesus, this is the words of Jesus. Now, believe that you receive them, and you will have them." So, as I'm praying, Lord, give me this, or I need this, or I need that. Believe in your mind is all what what you can take this scripture to mean. Believe as you're praying, all oh, I can have that. Yes, yes, Lord. Believe is what you could take this, you know, to mean, and then you will receive it. That, that's it. That's what you could take away from this one. Verse, Matthew 21, 21 through 22. Jesus says this. Jesus answered and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt. So here we go again. Hey, I have faith. I don't, I don't doubt. I'm asking. I'm praying. He says, you will not only do what was done to this fig tree, because he had just cursed the fig tree and it withered to the ground. But also, if you say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, it will be done. And here's the kicker. Here's the prosperity gospel that we see a lot of going on in the church today. And whatever things you ask in prayer, whatever you want, believing, you will receive. Again, if you just believe, you will receive. Another one, James 1, 5 through 8. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach and It will be given to him. So ask for wisdom and you'll get it. Now they kind of branch off and they kind of use verses six and seven and eight to use for all things, which I disagree because he's talking about wisdom here. But verse six says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. Here we go. Asking, believing, and not doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let that man suppose that he will receive, or let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. So, hey, if you don't pray with faith and you're doubting, don't worry about your prayer getting answered. Because guess what? You didn't have the faith because you doubted. And he goes on, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So certainly the idea that we can get from these three sections, if I just pray and have faith and believe that God's going to give it to me and believe God for it, whether it be health or, 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 or wealth or healings or whatever I want, then he will give them to me guaranteed. Right? And that's what we could take from those three sections of scripture that I just wrote. Well, that is what those three sections of Scripture seem to imply. But is that really what God was saying in those three Scriptures? And by what the whole Bible in the New Testament has to say on this subject? Well, let's find out again. Let's look to our Scriptures again today and read them over a little bit more carefully, these first two verses that we just studied. Look at what John says again in 1 John 5, 14 and 15. He says this. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him. Confidence, this is the assurance. Hey, we have this kind of assurance, Christians, and we know it's Christians. Remember back in verse 13 of this same chapter, he says, these things I've written to you, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So John's writing not to just pagans or not the heathens or not to unbelievers. He's writing to Christians. So Christians, this is the confidence. This is the, hey, assurance. You if you do this, you can have confidence that God is—you know—this this kind of confidence. And he goes on, and the, the, still, verse fourteen, he says this: that if you ask anything according to His will, He hears you. So, hey, God's hearing me. Yes, this is the confidence I have. God's here in me. Verse fifteen, and we know that, and we know, or and if we know He hears us, look at what He says: whatever we ask. We know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him, guaranteed. We have this assurance of this guaranteed to answered prayer right there. Didn't John just say the same thing that Jesus told the disciples in Mark 11, Matthew 21, and James said in chapter 1 of his epistle? Jesus, if you're asking anything in my name, he says, by faith and believing that you have it, you will receive it or have it guaranteed. Did all these verses say the same thing? Absolutely not. We left out one tremendous monumental detail that I didn't highlight when I was teaching through these two verses that I just said, you know, that I just read from you here from 1 John 5. Notice that John in verse 14 said the petitions or requests that Christ's followers ask of God will only be granted or guaranteed to them if. We ask, of course, in faith and belief. You have to believe. God says, ask and believe. Believe and ask, meaning have faith that I can do it. Of course, but the if, the stipulation here, was that we had to ask according to his will. Right there. Verse 14. This is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will. The first stipulation of today in God's word as to how he grants and guarantees Christians their prayer requests. They have to be asked by faith, you know, trusting in God. Hey, he can do it. Because if you're coming to God going, I don't even know why I'm praying, God. You know, it's just a waste of time. You're not going to answer me anyway. But, you know, Lord, I I really need help with this. Then what help can you really expect to get? Because you really don't have any faith that God can do it for you anyway. So, of course... Faith and trusting in him that he can do it is something that's most important. But will he do it? Well, I don't know. Is it according to his will, which is the first stipulation as to when you ask for something, is it going to be according to God's will? And, and what is God's will? We'll go over that later, but it has to be first stipulation. Your prayer request must be according to God's will. John says that a Christian can't just ask for health or wealth or whatever they want, just having faith and believing that God will give it to them, then God guaranteeing it to give, them, give it to them, that's a false doctrine. That is not what John said here. He said there's a stipulation to getting whatever you want in prayer. So that means if I pray for, you know, a better job with more money, And then it's not God's will, even if I had the faith, and I believed with all my heart, if it wasn't God's will to give me that job that had more money and a better job, then he's not going to do it. Look at some other scriptures that shed some light on the stipulations that God gives to guaranteed answers of prayer. Look at this, James 4, 3, back to the book of James. Look at what he says here. You ask, speaking to the Christians there, and do not receive. Wait a minute. Hey, hold on here. Hey, Jesus just said, if you ask and pray in faith and believing, then you shall receive what you have. So were they praying and not receiving in their prayer requests from God because they just didn't have enough faith or belief that God could give it to them? Well, no. Look at what he says next. James 4.3, you can look at it yourself. He tells them next, because you, so you don't have, or you ask, but you don't get because you ask amiss. So they're asking wrong. Why? That you may spend it on your pleasures. So they may have had all the faith and belief and the whole world needed for their prayers to be answered, but they were praying for things that were for their pleasures. So God said what? No, because they were praying and they weren't receiving. They were praying, having all the faith, probably in the whole world. But because it was for their own pleasures, God said, no, I won't give you that prayer request, which makes it stipulation number two. You shouldn't be asking God for things that are for your pleasures. So if it's not of God's will... And it's something that you just want for pleasure so that you, oh, man, I'd really like that. Oh, because it may make my life, life life, so much easier. Well, God says, hey, that's not my will. It's not my will that your, that your life be easy. In fact, the Bible promises that in this world we'll have tri- tribulation and troubles. All right, God never promises us easy lives. In this world, our lives are hard and full of toil and full of trouble and the whole world's full of sin. How can God guarantee that our lives be great? Like other preachers and TV preachers preach to us on TV. Oh, just just, praise the Lord. Everything's just going to be so great. I don't see it. So here we have two stipulations. One, our prayer requests need to be according to God's will. And two, that we can't be asking for things that are just for our pleasure. Look what else Jesus had to say in this, on this subject, because it seems that he didn't quite finish and he didn't quite say everything that he had to say in Matthew 21 and Mark 11 when he was saying, hey, if you just believe, it'll be given to you. He adds a little something here in John 14:12 through 14. He says this, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me so has faith in me is why I mentioned this earlier. The works that I do, he will do also. So, hey, if you have the correct faith in Jesus Christ and you're trusting in him like you should, we should be doing even greater works than he did. And he says, and greater works than these will he do because I go to my father. And whatever you ask in my name, here it is again. Whatever you Here's a prayer. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. There's the guarantee. Whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it. But look at the stipulation, because he gives it right there, right next. He says, that I'll do if you ask it in my name, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And then he goes on, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. But the idea was asking and praying in his name, whatever we could ask for. But if it didn't bring the Father glory in the Son, hey, sorry, God's going to say no to your prayer request, which would be stipulation three. God the Father needs to be glorified in the Son if you want any help at all for getting God to answer your prayer. Jesus Christ, again, in John 15, 7, he says this. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire And it should be done for you. These are stipulations four and five. Notice he said, if you abide in me. There were two things there. Two things that were stipulations on getting your prayers answered. If you, number one, abide in me. What does that mean to abide in Jesus Christ? Well, the Bible tells us plainly, if you're abiding in Him, then you're continuing to totally trust Him and totally have faith in Him with all your heart every day of your life. But it also means that if you're abiding in Him, you're abiding in His ways. And He lived sinless. He lived a perfect life, and that's the life that the Bible says that Christians should be striving to fight for, to live a sinless life. He lived a life of outreach. He lived a life of love. Are you abiding in Him when you're asking for prayers from God, and then you're not getting them answered, but you have to look to yourself? Are you really trusting in God with everything in your life, for everything in your life, and are you really abiding in His words? Are you really following His teachings? Are you really doing the things that he said to do? Because he says here that he said here, you can ask whatever you want. Are you abiding in me? Are you abiding in me? And then the secondly, the fifth thing he says: are, you, are my words abiding in you? What do his words abiding in us mean? Well, that would mean if his words abide in us, that means that as we pray, we're praying kind of parallel to how Jesus prayed when he was on the earth. We can't just be saying, oh, Lord, give me this, that, and the other thing. we got to go to Scripture and say, okay, let me. Did Jesus say, give me this, that, or anything to God? Oh, I'm sorry. We don't read that in Scripture. Jesus didn't say, just didn't say, oh, Lord, I need this, that, and the other thing. Hallelujah, G God, I, I believe, so give it to me. No, Jesus never prayed that way. Jesus prayed for other things. We'll go over them at the end of the service. I don't want to spoil. But Jesus prayed for other things. And God's wills for other things. Not that we would just have this, that, whatever, healing, wealth, whatever we want. That is not God's heart in Scripture. But that's what people have twisted the Scripture to mean. Why might God have all these stipulations for answered prayer and not just grant us whatever we want just because we may have faith? Well, look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 11. He says this, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Well, I have a couple questions here for us. Is it good parenting to give your children whatever they ask you for? Now, I'm not talking to all the kids out there, okay? Because, of course, as a child, you want mom and dad to give you whatever that you ask them for. I'm talking to the parents out there now, right? Parents, is it a good thing to give your children whatever they ask for? Only one thing here. Uh, Sorry, Not a good idea, right? It's not good parenting to give your children whatever they want. It makes them spoiled. That's what we call that in our world. We call it making them spoiled. And second, if you wouldn't just give them whatever they ask for, being a good parent, and God is a good, good father, then why would it make sense for God to give us or his children whatever we want also? Well, it wouldn't. God is a good, good father and gives good gifts to his children. If we ask for something, although it may seem good to us, oh, I need this, Lord, I need that, I need this. Oh, I, really, I could really use the man, that, Lord, that would make everything so much better. God's in heaven going. He can see the whole road map of life. And he sees, hey, if I give you that, my son, oh, man, this is... That's a bad, hey, you'd go this way instead of I want you to go that way. Oh, that way is bad. So is God supposed to give us whatever we want, even though we don't even know what's best for us to have? I don't. I don't know about you. I'm humble enough to know that I don't really know everything that's the best for me to have. I, I, you know, they always say, there's a saying in the world, be careful what you wish for. Right, that's a saying. Why do we say that? Well, because you you may want something, but it may not be a good thing that you have it. Like I know myself, I, well, maybe not myself, but there are some people that if they have a lot of money, they just they they change and they become a different person and they 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 stop being kind and they're so consumed about money. So, is it a good thing to make everybody rich? Well, no. Not everybody does good with a lot of money. It's just a simple fact. So. You have God being a good father. And that's why everything that He gives us, if we don't follow the stipulations to answer prayer, aren't good for us to have. That's why, unless a Christian's prayer requests are not spent on their pleasures, or if they're not God's will, or they don't glorify God in the Son, or you're coming and having total faith and trust in Christ and following His ways, abstaining from sin, His words aren't abiding in you, or you're not. Paralleling your prayers after Him, you can't just literally ask for health or wealth or money or whatever you want just because you have faith and just because you believe. Now, maybe you say to yourself right here, and you're thinking in your mind as you're listening, Pastor Ed, you don't don't understand. Healing is God's will for His children. All of God's children, God said, his word says, God wants us to be healthy and God wants us to have money. That's God's will and that glorifies him and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So therefore, we can take those verses that you use today and we can apply them towards a guarantee on these prayer requests. Well, upon the, these two aspects of just health and just wealth, I have a couple things that I have to say. On the aspect of being wealthy, I want you to do something for me. If you're an earnest Christian and you really desire to tell me the truth and and know the truth yourself, do a very extensive study. Please start today and, 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 you know, read a couple chapters a day and take notes and do this for me. Okay, do this for me. If you believe that all Christians are supposed to be wealthy, go throughout the whole New Testament and you... Point out to me every single time we read about a, one of Jesus' original disciples having a lot of money or having a lot of things. Jot them down for me and email me. My email's on the website. My phone number's on the website. Just call me and just email me. Every single one you find, jot it down where Jesus' original disciples were wealthy or they had a lot of things or they were well-to-do or you know they had a lot of possessions. Let me know and we'll talk about it. But I can already get you to the end of the study and tell you already I've looked and I've challenged others with this thing too. You won't find it. You won't find it. The disciples were basically vagabonds. They were leaders in the church, but they were not wealthy. They didn't have all kinds of money. They didn't have all kinds of things. They gave up all that stuff because the simplicity of God's word says, God says, I want people to know me and I want you to tell people about me. God said, I don't, every one of my children, they're not going to be wealthy. That's not anywhere in the New Testament of God's word. That's what characterizes the disciples. They were humble. They were sold out to Christ. They were focused on the, you know, the, the, the prosperity of the gospel into the world, meaning they were focused on getting the gospel to people and getting people saved, not how much money they have. And as for healing, this is, this is the aspect too. I believe, according to the scripture, that it may not be God's will every single time that we pray for it, to heal somebody. I believe God's automatic will is not automatically healed. Oh, oh, you prayed for healing? Oh, let me, let, me, let me snap my magic fingers, uh, my son and my daughter. Let me give you that healing. And you say, that's blasphemy, Pastor. That's, that's blasphemy. That's, that's, the Bible does say God's will is to heal. Well, look at some scripture evidence of that truth. Speaking of someone, first of all, our first example of a great soldier or a spiritual warrior for Christ back in the first century, who did more for the gospel as one man or any other disciple or apostle of Jesus Christ did, and that would be Paul, the apostle, right? Paul prayed and laid his hands on more people in the New Testament than I know of any other apostle or disciple, and he healed them by just touching them or by just Speaking a word or whatever, he healed more people than any other apostle or disciple in all the New Testament. Yet, with his performance for Christ in the healing others category, look what happened to Paul when he prayed when he wasn't doing so good. 2 Corinthians 12, 7-9. He says this, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Now this was a thorn in his flesh. And he prayed to God three times. And I'm almost guessing this wasn't knowing Paul. This wasn't like he was sitting in his chair going, oh, Lord, you know, please heal me of this thing. Oh, Lord, you know, please heal me of this thing. Oh, Lord, please heal me of this thing. I, I saw this thing, the way Paul speaks about it here is something that caused him great anguish. And therefore, if it caused him great anguish, I don't think this means that Paul prayed three times consecutive, just nonchalantly. nonchalantly. I think Paul prayed three separate times. For I don't know how long a time it could have been. He was in prayer the first time for two hours, and the, the second time uh, two weeks later, three hours. Or the you know uh, 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 the third time you know the third time he prayed, he might have been praying for four hours a month later. I don't see this as, as oh Lord, you know. I see this as earnest. He wanted this gone. God, please! In tears, on his knees, crying out to God. God, please relieve me of this pain or whatever I've got going on. And look what God said to him. Paul, as great as he was, an apostle for Christ. He says this, verse 9. God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. So God, in fancy words, said no. Paul, no, I'm not going to heal you. And why? Hey, because you know what? You're going to be stronger for me because you got this infirmity than you were before you had it. Well, I don't understand that. That doesn't make sense to me. That doesn't seem good to me. But here, that's what God said. God said no, and here's why. Because you're going to be a better Christian for me than you were before I allowed you to get this thing. And so Paul, after he heard God's word, he said this. Therefore, most gladly, I rather boast, meaning I'll tell everybody about it, in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And catch this, this thorn in the flesh, people have argued about what it means. And, oh, it wasn't a sickness or an illness. God would never allow a sickness or an illness to come upon his child. But yet, the number one definition of infirmity or sickness in verse 9 there, according to Strong's Concordance, this is the number one. There's several definitions underneath every word. But the number one definition of infirmity, according to Strong's, is want of strength, weakness, weakness. Or infirmity, which is a sickness. And infirmity is the same type of sickness or illness or pain or or something or suffering in the flesh. Paul had something bad going on in his life. He was suffering greatly because of this thorn in the flesh. And God said, no, you're going to be a stronger Christian for me because you got this than you were because you didn't have this. I guess it wasn't good for God to give that healing to Paul for the sickness or illness or suffering in the flesh that Satan had laid upon him. And he said it wasn't really because he said, hey, least I'd be exalted or made prideful over the things that God has shown me. Hey, you know what? I'll take it. So even Paul admitted in the end, it's not good for me to have this healing. It's not good, hey, because if I have it, I'll be prideful. And if I'm prideful, the Bible says a lot about pride. But the one main thing, pride comes before destruction. Because clearly God said no to his pleading for help and for healing for three different times. Paul prayed for something for himself that a ton of people today say is a guarantee, which is healing. And God told Paul, no. Look at this other one. There's two more. Three more, actually. Two more for right here. There's a woman named Tabitha, or Dorcas, a faithful and fruitful disciple of Jesus Christ. Acts 9, 36 and 37. Look what, well, look what the Bible writes about her. At Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. That means she was a faithful and fruitful Christ servant, soldier for God. But it happened in those days that she became sick and she died. What? A faithful disciple? To me, she's abiding in Christ. She's fulfilling one of the stipulations to answered prayer. She was abiding in Christ, being fruitful. We know that the Bible says only those that are abiding will be fruitful. So she was abiding in Christ, being fruitful, yet she got sick and died. She didn't just like get old and then like, okay, it's time for me to pass. And she put her feet up on the bed and like Jacob and oh just went off in the past. No, she got sick and died. If God's will for his kids is that they be healthy and wealthy, why did his faithful disciple Dorcas get sick and die? Explain it to me. I know that Peter came and did a healing and all that, but still... She was a faithful, abiding in Christ's disciple, and she got sick before she died. Another example. Paul's speaking of some traveling partners. In the end of his second letter to Timothy, 2, uh, 2 Timothy 4, 19 and 20, he says this. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, but Trompus, a Christian disciple of Christ. He's speaking about them. I have left in Miletus sick. Now, whoa, 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 now hold on now let 's look at this didn 't I just say, and you can go look at it yourself didn 't I just say that Paul laid hands and, and healed more people in the New Testament than any other person, a disciple or apostle of Christ that I saw absolutely yeah, Peter might be a close second or Peter might be first I just didn 't do the study on that, but i 'm just Paul was right up there, either first or second so paul didn't he when he was with him when he was with this Trumpus, Didn't he lay his hands on him and try to heal him like he had all those multitudes of other people, like he did everybody else that was sick, that was around him, wherever he went? Of course, the conclusion here is that he must have, and that he did, but God said no. Hey, this healing is not good. Hey, maybe Trophimus needed, needed to le- learn something. I don't know. But we know that whatever would happen, Paul didn't heal him. But we know that he did. So it means he tried, but God must have said no. Because in some way, maybe it wasn't good or it didn't fulfill the other stipulations for guaranteed to answer prayer or whatever. Nevertheless, Healing, which many people say is a guarantee, didn't happen in this man's life, even when Paul, the great healer apostle, laid his hands on him. That's crazy. Last biblical example of a time when God's answer to a belief-filled, faith-filled prayer for something was no. Look at this. I'm sure you may not know this, but Jesus Christ really didn't want to go to the cross at the end of his life. He even got, asked God to deliver him from it three times in the Garden of Gethsemane. Matthew 26, 39, just for the first time, he went a little farther. Remember, he took Peter, James, and John. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, his will, did you see that? His will was not to go to the cross. Wow. Crazy, huh? Jesus Christ loved us, but he knew what the cross meant. And he said, It's not my, I don't want to go, Daddy. I don't want to go. Let this cup pass from me. Let me not do this. But he goes, But as you will. And again, Jesus Christ repeated the heart of that prayer in the garden two times consecutive to this one. Yet, what happened to Jesus Christ? Well, we know, Scripture tells us, so we have the, people, the disciples to back it up. Judas betrayed him, and he went to the cross, which means that God said no to his prayer request. Jesus Christ went to the cross because God's will for him was to do so. So Jesus' prayer was not his will, so God didn't answer it. But yet, hold on, didn't Jesus Christ pray in faith? Believing whatever he wanted. Didn't he pray in faith that God could make that cup pass from him? I mean, you know, didn't Jesus pray that way? Uh, Yeah, right. Jesus Christ had more faith than anybody in the world. He was God incarnate. And if God really answered every prayer of his saved children for healing or money or whatever, if they just believe and have faith that he will, how much more more would he have not answered Christ's prayer when you absolutely know that Jesus had perfect faith? Jesus Christ had perfect belief in God and his prayer request. For he was, after all, God incarnate. My long drawn out point to this message, to this message so far, is this, Christians. Just because you pray for something and have faith and believe with all your heart that God will grant it to you, unless it is not spent for your pleasures, it, unless it's not, unless it's God's will, unless it doesn't, unless it glorifies God in Christ, unless you're abiding in Him, remember what that means, living for Him, you know, obeying His words, or your words, your prayers are paralleling the prayers that he prayed, then God's answer is will be no to your prayer request. Now, I've had many long and involved conversations on this topic with others over 17 years of being a child of God. And one fella even called me a false prophet and broke fellowship with me for saying what I told you and what I taught you today. Even saying that because I believed the way I did, God would destroy me from a certain time to a certain time. And guess what? It It was about six months, he said. And guess what? It's been a way longer than six months since he said this about me. God's still blessing my life, my family, my health, my, my finances and everything. More than he's ever done it in, in the 10 years that he's brought me to Texas. So who's the Bible say as a false prophet? Well, the Bible says if somebody gives a prophecy and says it's from God and they give a time frame. Hey, it's going to be three months from now, let's the Lord, or, you know, this, this, that and will happen. Well, if it doesn't happen within that certain amount of time, the Bible says if it doesn't come true, then that person is a false prophet. So it's not me. I'm teaching you the words of God. God's blessing me. The fellow that did this, he is the false prophet, not me. So. I'm sorry, just just needed to go on that tangent for a minute. It hurts when people say false and terrible things about you, especially when you read God's word plainly and you just read God's word for what God's word says and you don't add or you don't subtract. And when two scriptures say something, the same basic thing. But one scripture adds something while another scripture left it out. Then the the one scripture that had the more, had the fuller meaning in it is the scripture that you need to understand is that's the final. You wouldn't say, oh, I'm taken away from Jesus. And, oh, these other things in my name or, you know, according to God's will. You have to take the fullness of what they all say for that's the contextual understanding of the Bible. But as far as these five stipulations of guaranteed answers to prayer for Christians go, I can't waver from what I believe and teach on this topic because God's word is plain and clear on this subject. God, For God, uh, for a Christian, for answered prayer, the prayers must be not spent on our pleasures. They must be God's will They must be glorifying God in the Son. They they must mean that you you have continued faith and trust in Him, following in His ways, abstaining from sin, sin, and then His words must be abiding in you, which means that your prayers must be paralleling the ones that Christ prayed. And nowhere in God's word does He say that healing or wealth or whatever are absolutely God's will or glorifying Him in Jesus Christ, etc., I'm sorry to say. I wish they were. Ladies and gentlemen, I wish that they were. I've been abiding in Christ. I've been following Christ's words. I've been praying according to God's will. And I've been praying, and my poor mother, who's, who's not even 63 years old, has Alzheimer's in the later stages. Now, by golly, if there was a ship that said, hey, if you just did this, that, and the other thing, and God would do whatever, I'd be on that ship. I almost was on this ship for a little while. I almost was, or I actually went there for a little bit because I thought, if that can save my mama, I'm going to believe in faith and not doubt. No matter what God, He has to do it because I believe. But then guess what? No matter how much I pray and how much I've prayed over the last five to six to seven years since we've been going through this, she doesn't get better, but she gets worse. And I look to myself, and here I am, Praying in faith, believing on God, doing all this stuff, and nothing's happening. Because when I go to Scripture, I find that God's will is not necessarily always to heal every single believer that's sick. Dorcas, as I just read, she was sick and she died. Peter came and healed her, but nevertheless, she still got sick and she died. If you want to go to the Old Testament, a a faithful messenger of God, we go to Jacob, who God named Israel, who was the founder of the 12 tribes of Israel. And what did it say at the end of his life? A hard life that he lived. That Jacob or Israel got sick and he was ready to die. Yet he was the very foundation of the 12 tribes of Israel. A man that suffered much affliction, if you know what happened with Joseph and all that. And even Jacob got sick at the end of his life, and he died. Wow. God's word says that there are stipulations to him answering your prayers, and that's that period, the end. And, 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 and at that, even you got to understand that even if you're praying something that you think might be God's will, it might not be his will for you. But nobody knows the mind of God so we can pray the best we can according to God's will, and leave the results up to Him. But enough about that. Outside of all this twisting of God's word that people do for their gain, even from the verses that we are studying today, there's very good news in these first two verses, or in these only two verses that we study today for Christians. John said again, I'm going to just go through it really quick, and then I'm going to go through what God's will is, some things that we know that we can pray for and not be against God when we pray them. If you are praying according to God's will, John says, by faith and believing, of course, we, we add that because that's what Scripture says. In verses four, uh, 14 and 15, John tells us that we can have confidence. That means that we know we can have them, that God hears us if, and if he hears us, we can know that we have the petitions that we ask him if we pray according to God's will. And certainly, if we are praying in faith and believing and praying in God's will, and His will would encompass you abiding in Him and His words abiding in you, then you can have assurance that God will answer your prayers guaranteed. And ladies and gentlemen, that is awesome. But before you presume, what is God's will? Well, do you even know? Do you know Scripture? Are His words abiding in you? The big question needs to be asked. Outside of God's will, of you abiding in Christ and His words abiding in you, what is God's will in prayer request form that the followers of Christ can pray or petition God for and be assured or guaranteed to get in them? Well, I'm going to go through them right now. Believe it or not, God doesn't just have one will, He has many wills for His children. He has wills for those that are lost, and He has wills for those that are saved. So what are those wills of God for the lost, and what are the wills of God for the saved? Well, just some. I'm sure there's more, but I didn't want to go on with the sermon. I could, I could teach the Bible because God's given me a lot of hours for hours, but to try to stay right around the hour mark, I have some for us here that you can pray, that if you want to pray, you can pray and know that as long as you're abiding in Him, remember, you're following His words, you're, 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 you're doing the best you can to live sinless, You're you're, you're striving to have faith in Christ every day. You can know that you have these things because these are God's will in Scripture. We have our provision, first of all. If we pray for provision, we know that that is God's will to provide for us His children. I used to go on the streets of Dallas all the time. And I used to have a lot of homeless people that were destitute and had diseases and had this and had that. Oh, I love Jesus. When I look to scripture, though, I go say, wait a minute, God. You said that provision is like one of the main things that you want for your kids. How could this man really love you? and be abiding in you and be on the way to heaven, because it's only those that abide in Christ that are going to go to heaven, but yet still be homeless and have nothing and have diseases. On the Sermon on Mount, Jesus talks about how God takes care of the birds of the air, right? And the grass of the field. and, and, And in closing, he says this in verses 31 to 33, he says this. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? All provisional things. For after all these things the Gentiles seek, listen, For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But look what he said to do. Ask for them. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So pray, Jesus said, these things. Seek God in his kingdom. Pray to God that he would do that. And that's God's will for your life. And he goes on to say, And all these things shall be added unto you. God's will is that he provide for you as a child of his. And he takes care of you. And if you pray for those things, you can have guaranteed assurance that God will absolutely provide those things for you. You can be assured. You need a job. You need whatever. Oh, Lord, God, please. I need need money. I need to have finances. I'm going to lose my house, Lord. I need, please, Lord, I need need food. God will grant them. God will grant them. You, You believe and you ask in faith. And God assures you. He'll provide for you. Second thing. God desires us not to be scared. In Matthew 10, 29-31, he says this, Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. We can pray that God will help us not be scared. And God's word there says he doesn't want us to be scared. This is a prayer request that we know that we can pray, And it's his will, and we know we can pray, and we know we can have an assurance. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, a huge one. Uh, Paul says, for this is the will of God. Paul speaking to Christians, your sanctification. What is sanctification? You becoming more like Jesus and less like the person you were before you were saved. He goes on in verses 3 through 7 to tell us a little bit about those things. He, He says that your sanctification, our sanctification, would include that you should abstain from sexual immorality. So get away from impure sex. Have, get married. Have sex with a beautiful wife that God gives you. Verse 4, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the passion of the lust like the Gentiles do who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such. And we also forewarn you and testify for God did not call us to uncleanness but to holiness. God's will for us. We could pray for ourselves every day. We could know that we'd have it. God, make me more like You. Make me more holy. I don't want to sin anymore. Should be the heart cry of a true Christian. God says, "I want you to pray that. Pray that You'll make you more holy, because you can't make yourself holy. Only God and Holy Spirit can do that. But if you pray, God, please make me holy. I hate it when I sin." Then God says, oh man, all right, I've been waiting for you to pray that one, my son. Boom! And he's going to do it for you. It's a guaranteed Answer to prayer, for that is God's will that you can pray. Another will or desire or command for God to Christians, uh, that you go tell others about Jesus Christ. Matthew 16, 15, Jesus says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. God, make me a stronger, sir, make me a stronger messenger for you. Help me to get out there and tell others about Jesus Christ. And God's going, all right, I want you to do it. I'm going to help you do it. Wham! He's going to do it for you. Another one of God's will or command for his kids that we love one another. Well, love is hard, right? Love is hard. So we got to pray, God, help me to love others. Since love is hard and people are difficult, this is something that I have to pray every day for myself because people are very difficult to love. So if you pray, God, help me to love, that's God's will. And he's going, all right, guaranteed, I'm going to do it. Last one, guidance. A Christian can ask God for guidance in ministry, in life, for their family, for their job, whatever. God, give me guidance. Help me help me to understand what your will is for my life in this area of my life. So show me, Lord God, which way I should go for this area of my life. We know that guidance is God's will. Jesus, in uh, Luke 6, went up on a mountain and he prayed all night long. And he asked God for guidance. And then what he did was... He called the 12, he called, called the disciples to himself and he chose 12. So he spent all night on the prayer on a mountain asking God, Hey, God, tell me which 12 you want me to pick. Lord, I need your guidance and we know that we can ask for guidance too. A really neat story, me and my father were just out on a fellowship drive. We try to go on one of those every week. And yesterday we were, we were going and we got lost, which <laughs> we were just talking. And guess what? We were lost and we had to be at a certain place at a certain time. And I said, Hey, I said, I don't know where we're going. And my GPS on my phone, we were in the middle of nowhere. I said, hey, why don't you pray that God get us home? And he goes, ah, that sounds good. We prayed for guidance. And guess what? Within a few minutes, God gave us the guidance to get home, and we made it. God wants his will is to guide you through life. His guidance now, not yours. His guidance, his ways, not yours. So we can pray for guidance, and that's God's will, and so he'll answer that prayer. And God has many things that He wills and desires or commands for His kids to do. And we know that as long as we're abiding in Him, and we know that we're praying, we're seeking His will, and we're paralleling our prayers after His, we know that we can have the answers according to His will, according to His scripture. But you know, God is not just a good, good Father to those that are His. He's also a good, good Father, even He wants to be a good, good Father to the lost. God even has a good will and wills for the lost. His goodness is not just found toward his kids. His his goodness is found toward the lost. God's biggest will for the lost is that they seek him. Remember Acts 17, 26 through 28. Paul ends that and he says this. So that they should seek the Lord, speaking of the lost. I'm just going to read the whole thing. And he has made, Paul says, from one blood, every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and their boundaries their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope, His hope, that they might grow for Him and find Him. God's will for you or me or anybody that's lost, I'm not lost anymore, but when I was lost, is for us to seek Him so that He can help us find Him because... Second Peter three nine. God is not long suffering toward, or God is long suffering toward us. Not willing. There's a will, or His desire, or intention. As Strong's puts it, He's not willing that any should perish or go to hell, but that all should come to repentance, or come to be a spiritual child, and come to be saved. And here we also see the grace and the love of God, and that if someone that's not even saved, that they can pray and come to God, and He will answer them. Not just in whatever they want either, mind you, but in the category of them finding him and seeking him and coming to know him and being saved from their sins. So if any unsaved person comes to God and they seek God because God wants them to, God will help them and lead them unto salvation. And look at the promise that God gives to those that are unsaved. Matthew 10, 39. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will. We'll find it. If a lost person loses, or translation, gives up the lordship that they have of their own life, and they surrender to Christ, making him the Lord of their lives, deciding to follow him, God will save them. For this is his will. I believe from a saved person's perspective, one last will from God, that even Christians can pray for the lost because uh, 1 Timothy 2, 1-4, look what he says. Therefore I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, listen, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So one other thing that a Christian can claim, and as long as we're abiding in him we can believe upon, is that as we pray for the lost, God's working on their hearts to bring them to Him. We can believe it. We can say, I have confidence. I can say, verse 14, now this is the confidence that we have in Him. If we ask anything according to His will, then He hears us. And if if we know He hears us, He will grant us the requests that we ask. We as Christians can pray for our lost loved ones. We can pray for our lost leaders. We can pray for the election. We can pray for the people to come to know Christ. And God says here, because he desires all men to be saved, then he can, we can be assured that, hey, God's working on that. God's working on their hearts to save them. He's just got to get around their own stubborn will, but God's still working on it if we pray. So Christians... Prayer requests for healings, wealth, or just whatever you want are not just granted to you because you simply have faith and believe that God will give them to you. The whole idea really makes God some kind of genie who is bound by our faith and our belief to just obey our requests at at our will and not His. Please listen to me. God is Lord and Master of all creation. And He doesn't take orders from anyone. And nobody can order him around like some kind of dog or some kind of monkey. He is to be revered and feared as king of all creation. If we desire a prayer request to be fulfilled by God, he gives us that right to do that. But the stipulations of answering those prayers are that they must be prayed in, in faith and in belief. And, and we need, need to be abiding in him, but that our prayer requests are not to be that we're spending them on our own pleasures but that they should be God's will, that they should, we should be looked to You're bringing God glory in the Son by those prayer requests, that we're continuing to have total faith and trust in Him and following His ways and abstaining from the sin like He did. And His words are abiding in us, which means that we're paralleling our prayers after the prayers that Jesus Christ prayed to the Father. And that, and that, that, even if we meet all these stipulations for answered prayer, remember, that if your prayer request isn't His will for you, for you specifically, then His answer will still be no, but still coming to Him in this reverence, in these ways, and having assurance that if it's God's will, then He will grant it to you. Nowhere in God's word does He say that all a Christian needs to do to, whatever, to have whatever they want in prayers, to have faith and believe. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a twisting of God's word for game, and not what God's word says in entirety. You heard the scriptures for yourself today, so you be the judge. But I sure hope that you don't believe this false prosperity doctrine gospel of just having faith and believing and praying for whatever you want and expecting God to grant you and do for you whatever you want. If you believe this about God, I got to tell you right now, I'm really afraid for you. With all the mounting evidence that I gave you from God's Word today, I'm really doubtful. If you believe that you can just pray and God's going to give you whatever you want, whenever you want it, like He's some genie, because you just have this faith or have this belief, I'm concerned about you that I'm really doubtful that you know the Jesus Christ of the Bible and that you're really truly saved and born again, because, as again, you've made God a genie by your beliefs. And scriptures, scriptures does not portray God of the universe in this way. The whole thrust of the Bible, as I said in my overview from last week, God wrote His word for pretty simple reasons, so people could come to know God's character. People could have hope, or with His hope, I should say, that we choose to love Him back, and with His guidance of how to follow His ways and live others and, and, and love others. Excuse me. And any other doctrine that people come up with that makes for personal gain or a great benefit to mankind is not biblical. It's from the devil. As the prosperity is, uh, the prosperity gospel is it's not from God. If you truly want to commit your life to Jesus Christ today and stop believing all these false and apostate doctrines and all this, this monkey business with making God a genie, then you got to follow Jesus' words in Matthew ten thirty nine, and you got to stay there until you die. Jesus said, he who finds his life will lose it. If you want to be the Lord and ruler over your life now, Jesus said, then you're going to lose your eternal life forever. But he says, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Those who turn to God through Christ because of what Jesus did. And we surrender to Jesus Christ. And we make him the Lord of our lives. The Jesus Christ of the Bible. Not a Jesus Christ that we make as our own understanding, as our own fashioning him after our own selves, because then that's not the Jesus of the Bible. Then he said that you will find eternal life if you do this. Surrender today if this is you. For God loves you, but he doesn't want you to worship him as a different God. He gives very interesting and very unique characteristics about himself. You can't just say that God is this, that, or whatever, and, and just worship a God of your own understanding. You have to worship the God of the Bible. That's what he wants you to do. And so surrender today. And stop believing all this malarkey and come and surrender to the Jesus Christ of the Bible and give him your life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much, Lord God, how your word is so clear. Your word is so plain. We just, Lord, I pray that we would just follow your word and Lord, we would just take it for what it says. Not adding anything to it or not subtracting anything to it, Lord God. I pray, Lord God, for any out there that are really, truly seeking you, Lord. I pray that they would get into your word daily and and ask and pray before as we opened up with, and I said in my opening prayer that your Holy Spirit's the only one that teaches us. So I pray, Lord God, that they would get into your word and just pray, God, help me to understand your word today. What do you want? Who, Who are you? And Lord, and let you answer those prayers. Help people come to know you. And Lord, please, Destroy this prosperity gospel idea that people have about you, this false ideal that they have about you that's all over the world, Lord God. It's it's just been destroying the Christian church in so many areas of our world. Please, dear God, bring people to the true knowledge of who you are and save them, Lord. And I ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.